let your servant depart in peace. O Master, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people is Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Hladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. The liturgical participation in the Song of Simeon at Vespers. That is our topic today. Thank you for joining us, all of our listeners. Thank you for joining me, Father Jeffrey. We are excited to do this episode. Uh, One of the reasons is because we get to talk about one of our favorite topics, which is light. Mm -hmm. Light. So I think, Father Jeffrey, I really liked what we did last episode where we drew, we, we, we did a quick walk through of the garden of vespers and looked and considered the little flowers on each side until we got to the end right Mm -hmm. so today i want to do that but i want to do that focusing on the theme of light and then to see how the song of simeon um what we do liturgically in that moment right what we're singing about what we're physically doing reflects no pun intended uh the theme of light Mm -hmm. um that sound reasonable it does, yeah. I mean, it is such a dominant theme, uh, not just of Vespers, but of the entirety of the Liturgy of the Hours. But, uh, you know, it's important, I think, you know, we've talked about it as we've gone along and things like that, but the way, just to see how it is actually shaped right across the whole service now as we're bringing the service to its conclusion, I think it could be quite useful for our listeners to hear that. Mm-hmm. So Psalm 103, the opening Psalm of Vespers, starts with, you know, of, of some of the some of the opening verses here, you clothe yourself with thanksgiving and majesty. You cover yourself with light, as with a garment. Right. So this idea of God's act in creation is primarily, or um, first and foremost, one of bringing light into the world. Right. That's also reflected in the creation account. Let there be light. So this bringing of light into creation seems like a very foundational aspect of creation. Yeah. And I mean, there's this kind of ambiguity, right, about the the opening Psalm, Psalm 103, in terms of, you know, is this the beginning of things? Is this the end of things? And we spoke before about, you know, the position of Vespers has this kind of ambiguous context. Liturgically, of course, it's the beginning of the day. We start the commemoration you know, of the next day, you know, at Vespers each day, according to kind of an ancient um, Jewish practice and so forth. And yet, 
it's also the end of the day, right? Something's ending and something's beginning at the same time. There's this real ambiguity. And remember, we're, we're arriving at the service in the twilight, right? This is the, it's the, it's dusk. It's not quite sunset. Sunset's going to occur partway through the service if the whole thing has been scheduled correctly, according to the Tipicon. But, you know, the, the light is fading, right? And we're gathering just before sundown. The church itself is not lit, uh, unless briefly at the very beginning, if it's going to be an all night vigil thing, you know, Vespers join to Matins and first hour, then there will be this kind of great amount of light at the beginning and this opening sensing. We talked about all of that, but, but on, on normal you know, Vespers, even great Vespers, there's no light in the church. We've arrived in this twilight in this ambiguous space, you know, yes, we're celebrating God as light who sent his light out into the world and so forth. But it's also talking about things having their breath withdrawn and about, you know, coming to the end of the day and the kind of, you know, the, the calming down of things. So there's this ambiguous kind of liminal space that we've been invited into at the beginning in terms of light. Yes, we know about God's creative power and his light, but there's something about our own experience and kind of lives that is where the light is already seen to be somehow fading or, or ebbing away. And what are we going to do about that? There's a kind of response really in, in the whole service that as it unfolds to that ambiguous in-between place of, of our day. And, I, you know, in some ways, I think we, we kind of feel that as, as human beings. I know where we live in a world of electric light. We can just stave off the darkness with the flip of a switch and everything. But I don't know, those, the, you know, the, the twilight of the morning, the twilight of, of the evening, I think is always a very special time of day somehow. And it's, it's a kind of, it's a moment of, of, of reflection. It's a moment of, of consideration. It's a moment of, of crisis or choice. And, um, and, and this is where the service is placed very deliberately. The Deepakon says, order this service so that this is when you're going to be entering into it. And so, yeah, God and light, but what about us? Where are we within that great scope of things in terms of light and dark? The next section is the Litany of Peace. And uh, I, I, I don't think that there are any particular references to light here. Um, the, the closest I could get to to maybe drawing out a theme of light is that um, we're hoping that, you know, God's peace, which will ultimately, you know, another metaphor could be God's light uh, would come into our lives. I'm not sure if there's anything else we can sort of draw out in terms of light for the Litany of Peace. Yeah, but I think it is interesting. I mean, depending on the lighting of the church again, um, you know, there's not a lot lit candle or lamp wise at this point, but I'm thinking, you know, how many windows are there in the, in the space? And, you know, so this is the point that the light is going away, right? So we've arrived, it's sort of, you know, dusky and twilighty, and now that light is gradually fading. So it's exactly at the moment where we're bringing forward all of these aspects of our lives. We, we talked about the world without and the world within, um, with the litany of peace and the cathismata, but it just seems like darkness is, is closing in. As we're bringing these stories of our lives, these preoccupations and so forth forward, it seems like that's becoming more and more present. This, this kind of dark is drawing in. And what, what are we going to do about that? I suppose is what we're being invited to, to, to think about, to, to reflect on and, and to enact here. Darkness is coming. What's, what's the solution? And then the cathisma, and we're, you know, at this point, 
you can imagine you're sitting down in a receptive, attentive position uh, in the darkness, listening to, I think I mentioned in the last episode, the ups and downs of the human condition relative to our relationship with God. Yeah, so I think that there's that that darkness and peace really lends itself to that listening, attentive, seated position. Yeah, I mean, by this point, you can maybe scarcely even see the icons around you and the church decoration and so forth. It it is a place of of darkness. It's that place of you know uh, where we we are anticipating some kind of apocalypse, some kind of revelation, some kind of unveiling. Uh, it's the darkness that is the darkness of the suffering and, you know, isolation and misery of our lives. So you talked about the, the, the downs part of that, but it's also that, as you say, that the darkness of quietude of, uh, Ezekiel, right. The, that, uh, that quietude or stillness of soul, the darkness within in which, ultimately you know light can be can be born and born anew and 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 renew us so yeah but but at this point i mean the ambiance is quite dark indeed right and but the darkness has both positive and negative aspects possibly you know overall the, the the balance there has to be on on the negative side so we're we're anticipating you know something of of god moving into this remember this is the god who has clothed himself in light and yet we are sitting here in the dark by this point mm, yeah and then we move to the lamp lighting psalms which is psalm 140 141 129 116 and now we begin the movement of preparing the church for the sunset hymn, O Gladsome Light. And in that preparation is the lighting of candles, lamps, chandeliers. And, you know, I think we mentioned in previous episodes that in, you know, bigger churches before electricity, this could take a while. So they would start so early to light everything up. Whereas say at my, at my church at St. Maria's in Hamilton, um, when Gladsome Light hits, we just flip a switch and the lights go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you don't need to spend all this time lighting candles when you can just flip the switch but yeah the, the, it, we begin the movement from darkness to light in these psalms yeah and again think about what this means you know kind of in terms of the liturgical embodiment of something you, i mean take that medium or large sized church with many candles or oil lamps or you know um candelabra chandeliers um you, know, you need a small army of people kind of deployed at this point each of them lighting a few lights right the darkness has surrounded us. We were sitting there in the dark, and now we light our little lights. And and you know these are our prayers. There there are hopes. Uh, they're expressions, kind of, of our own participation in the overall project of the God who has clothed Himself with light to renew the world, to bring light into the midst of that darkness that we have experienced so tangibly there. So uh, it's it's important that. You know, there's both the the kind of sudden glory of the light that fills the whole temple, but also related to that are the this kind of individual, personal, you know, small group lighting of little lights, right? Because that we we participate in that somehow. You know, the even you know, if we think about the grand scheme of salvation history, there were those whose little lights lit the way for the coming of light into the world that, that St. John talks about in the prologue to his gospel, right? 
the true light was coming into the world. He, he talks about John. That was not the light, not, you know, he, he was a light, but not the light, capital L. The true light was coming in into the world. Well, there were these little lights, you know, John the Baptist and the Virgin Mary and, and the faithful, you know, and righteous ones, men and women of the old covenant who from Abraham, you know, through all the patriarchs and the judges and the the kings and the prophets and and you know all the generations of the people of Israel, the little lights that were lit to that were the heralds really for the the coming of of the light into the world. Well, you know, we've said before that this Vespers is not about you know retelling that principally, but that pattern, in as it were, is reflected in every day of our lives, right? That if we are to bring Christ into the world and to introduce the world to the light of Christ, we have to be busy lighting our lamps, lighting our little lights. Uh, we have a role to play. You know, it, it was said last time that we're not commissioned in the sense of being delegated this project, you know, that it's all handed over to us, good luck, you know, we'll catch up with you later, see how you've done kind of thing. But rather, we are full participants and collaborators with this, this project of God's peace and light and creative love coming into every part of the world. And in order for that to, to come about, we have to continue to light our little lights, which is what we're doing at this point. And then, of course, it climaxes in some Light, where the, 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 the fullness of the light is achieved with the singing of of some light and the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and, and as well as the acknowledgement of the worship, the constant worship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Right. So this little light lighting, you know, culminates in this, this big light and yeah, flip all the switches on at this point, or, you know, make sure that every last light, the big ones are, are fully lit. And as we sing that hymn of praise of the one who is the true light coming into the world, the incarnate Jesus Christ, the one in whom we see the face of the father and the presence and anointing of the spirit. So it's the Trinitarian in that way. And at this point, all the lights are on in the church and, and they're going to be left on. And this is key, right? So they're going to be left on in the, the, the parts that follow. Uh, and, you know, so we are, you know, very visibly placed within the presence of the face of God, this illuminating, you know, face of, of God that, that, that brings light into every part of, of the temple but that now represents the whole world. This is what is happening, right? So if we've already stepped forward into the end of all things, what we are experiencing now in the church, in the within the space, with all of those beautifully decorated spaces and the icons that are gloriously set off. You may think of the gold and those panels being illumined with the, the flickering lights and so forth. This is what the end of all things will look like. God is all in all. His light permeates to every part of, of the world. Heaven and earth are joined together and, you know, everything is illumined. Well, you know, that is going to extend through these next parts of, of the service. So everything that now takes place is in that place, right? It's a very visible, tangible reminder of where we stand. And we anticipate now God all is all in all, all the world is illumined. Yeah, I was going to say, you perfectly encapsulated the next part with the Prokemenon. You know, the Lord is king, he is robed in majesty, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it just, that theme just 
pours over and continues through this this section of Vespers here. Well, you couldn't imagine turning the lights off for that Perkimenon, right? You know, or for the piece, right, you know, right. before it, or for you know. So it's it's important to you know these are not you know just customs or you know well you know somebody somewhere decided to leave the lights on and we still do that just because we you know we're sticking the muds and and uh, we don't we don't change things very often or whatever it it, it actually has you know, an embodied, enacted, you know, ritual purpose here to, to teach us that the next moments of the service here, including this acclamation of God's kingship in the Perkimenon and so forth, they're all taking place at that point where, where God's light is everywhere. And, and that's our experience in the, in the church space. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. And then we move on into, you know, especially the litany of supplication, we start to now, you know, we say, let us complete our evening prayer to the Lord. We start looking forward into our evening and not only into the evening of the day, but, you know, the evening of our life, so to speak, right? Um, let us, uh, you know, uh, let us complete the remaining time of our life in peace and repentance, right? So we begin to now, we've we've had that moment in the light and now we're beginning to look forward in you know in our own life to kind of moving on with the day and moving on with our life yeah and i would even say like each of those litanies start you know the fervent litany you know so we're specifically praying for particular needs and so forth and then the litany of supplication which is about the rest of of our of our evenings and of every part of our lives extending right through to our death i mean the way to think about those two litanies is in this light we pray Right. So now that we're here and the light is everywhere, what is it that will be the consequence of that light extending to every part of the world? Well, it will look like this. The dead will arise. We can pray for them in the hope of the resurrection. The sick will be made well because you know, God's putting all to right. So all these very particular needs, we name people by name. Now, it's not going to happen here and now, unless by some miracle it does, but we're calling down the light that we're already experiencing from the end of all things, from the day of the Lord into the light, the day uh, that we experience, you know, now, you know, so we're standing in that light. We're saying, Lord, let that light extend even to this. Here's the faithful departed. Here are the sick, the suffering, uh, those who are pregnant, those who are traveling, those who have any kind of need. Every aspect, the very personal needs of the world are brought before God in the light that is still on, right? We, that's why we haven't turned them. I mean, there might be a temptation to say after the, the peace and after the Prochimenon, if there are any readings, you know, let's just put the lights back off or, or whatever. No, it's important that we pray these litanies 
in that light. And even you mentioned, you know, for our repentance, what is repentance except calling the light of God into the darkness of our lives, into the darkness of our hearts? You know, I often encourage people when they're coming to confession to think of it precisely with that kind of metaphor, that this is about shining a torch, the the very light of God into every nook and cranny of your heart and, and an opening progressively opening up your your whole life to that light right and so this is all about that what that light is doing that active creative powerful renewing strengthening light that has gone out we've seen it in all the church now let's have it in every part of our lives and then we reach the song of simeon i'll read the whole thing here father jeffrey Mm -hmm. now let your servant depart in peace O master according to your word For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And I know in many churches, this is when you turn off the lights. Yeah, and that's important. That's important. So obviously the song has nothing to do with light itself. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, a a light of revelation (laughs) and my eyes have seen. Right. You know, so it's, it's exactly about saying we've you know we have now seen it now this is interesting it's now we're it's sort of put into the immediate past right something has come to call uh, its culmination its fruition right this has been simeon waiting in the temple for the consolation of israel and he's seen it and, and he's able to to depart to go out from that temple and we know that's because that's the, you know, pretty much the end of his earthly life. But for us, there is a departure as well. And so there is an immediate past tense to the light that we've experienced in the temple. It can't go on like this. It's not, you know, it's very much like, you know, Peter and, you know, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, it's good that we should be here. Let's make a camp and stay, right? As long as we possibly can. I'll make you a tent. We'll make a tent for Moses, one for Elijah. And, you know, but we have to come down, you know, from that mountain. And so having seen that light, our eyes opened anew, our hearts and minds opened anew to that light. We now go out into the world, but precisely now in this kind of visible, physical sense, the lights are extinguished as we say that, right? Because what is the light that matters? It's not, you know, on one level, we're we're actually relativizing the symbolism at this point. We know that all we've really done is lit some wax candles and some oil lamps and maybe thrown on the electric light switch, right? And, and, And that's, that's make believe in one level. I mean, it's powerful symbolism for sure. And, you know, I'm not trying to take people away from the ritual and symbols of Orthodox worship here. But on another level, we know this wasn't, you know, the real light, that that has all been representative. It's been a sign, a symbol, a a kind of antitype of the true light. Mm. And so that true light ultimately is what we've been praying to have been participants in, to to have experienced, and now to carry forward. So it's really important that even in our worship, even in our our ritual enacting together, that we take away the, the kind of prop, as it were, right? The prop goes, but the truth remains. It's very similar to, you know, in some of the sacraments, there's, there's a removal of the symbol, 
right? You might think, well, this is kind of debasing the thing. We should have just waited till privately afterwards somewhere, you know, we would have removed it. You know, think of the crowns of, of a, a wedding that are removed or the chrism even, you know, you're chrismated and before the end of the service, it's wiped off, right? Well, why? Because it's sunk in, right? Because it's actually embedded. And in the marriage service, when we remove the crowns, the prayer specifically is that their true crowns are now you know, the ones that bind them together and are already in the kingdom and await them, right? So the true crowns are elsewhere. The true chrism is the anointing of the spirit that has come with the gifts of the spirit and chrismation. The, you know, in, in some ways, you know, we digest the, the body and blood of Christ in, in our body. So we remove, you know, that as well as a symbol from us, but the truth of that communion abides. Mm-hmm. And so here too, the yeah. light has come. We've experienced the light, but that, that light that we're extinguishing now is just a sign. The true light remains. And that's what St. Simeon's prayer is about. It reminds me of maybe a metaphor is one of a stamp, right? So you put a stamp on a piece of paper or on a document or on a letter and you push you push down, but then you take it away, right? And mm-hmm. and that thing actually imprints itself onto the thing. So if we think about you know these these symbolic liturgical actions, and I'm using symbolic in the sense of bringing together of realities, mm-hmm. um, that if you know this the the symbol of you know we're using light in vespers, well we you know from the time of a gladsome light all the way to the song of simeon that theme and that symbol of light has been stamped on us and now it is being taken away when we turn off the light except that it's not being taken away so that we don't have it it's being taken away because it has been imprinted on us is that a good metaphor yes absolutely i mean if it hasn't sunk in by now um it likely won't at this service. You'll have to come back. You know, Don't and, worry, we and, do it every day. We do it every day. So, uh, so, but, but precisely because it takes a while to, you know, properly sink in. But you're absolutely right. It, it's that imprint on us, and and we need to. I mean, do, how often do we go out from vespers thinking that's happened? You know, that I now have the light at a. You know, it's it's penetrated a little bit deeper than ever before, and uh, and so I take this with me. And so the the fact that, I mean, we could have just left the lights on to the very end and then the darkness would be us going out into the world from the, the lit church, right? And so you would have it in that way. But it's important that we experience this together, right? Not just me on my own as I head out into the dark, cold night, you know, yeah, okay, I need to have some remembrance of the light that I've left behind me. But no, it's, it's together, the lights have been extinguished, and together we can have some sense of that imprinting, that penetration of the light deep, you know, deep within us so that we then carry that, carry that forward, right? Because remember, this is the light, not just for us. It's the light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of God's people, um, Israel. And there's a lovely translation of um, this in the English of the Roman rite that's used often. Uh, it's not a light to enlighten the Gentiles or the nations, but a light to bring the Gentiles from darkness, right? This is very active you know, and I, so that's what lighten means, but just to even express it that way, I think has all the more power in English, a light to bring the Gentiles from darkness. So we're going into the darkness with a light that is one that will draw the world into the presence of God, which is, you know, quite powerful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't really thought about it this way, but um, it's almost as if, you know, the light turns off, but we are expected to be the light. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, we are I, we are expected to be the ones who are the light and bring the light. Ideally, you know, we'd all be phosphorescent at this point, right? Of the course. light has been shining on us. So if we're truly, you know, if we truly have achieved the glory and the theosis of the end, we'd be looking around, we'd all be glowing, right? So the mm-hmm, lights mm-hmm. are off, but you know, we're we're sort of, you know, glowing in the dark, as it were. But so, we are, we are, spiritually we are. Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. And what would be so it seems to me that there should be like maybe two, maybe three things that we should maybe have on our hearts when this song is being sung or read when we're in church. And one of those is, um, well, I mean, part of this we could talk about in our next episode, Father Jeffrey. Uh, so maybe this will be a bit of a teaser. But part of it could be, well, we're going to die, right? Now let your servant depart in peace, right? What does it mean that we're, get, we're mortal and, and we're going to die? But also, what does it mean, like, have we actually seen the salvation of God, right? How do we view the world because of Vespers, right? Um, yeah, this is, I feel like this is definitely a teaser for next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do we view kind of that us versus them, right? That Gentiles versus Israel dichotomy that a lot of us frame the world in. How do we view, how do we view God's relationship with the other, right? Um, yeah, I, I maybe I think that that's probably a teaser and best kept for next time. But if there's anything you want to add to that, Father Jeffrey, you're welcome to. Well, just to say that we started this episode talking about the ambiguity of, you know, sunset, right? Of 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 that kind of twilight and and everything. And in some ways, this is reintroduced at this point, right? By the fact that the lights are extinguished, and although we're singing about the light, we know that. You know, having to step back from this experience of the end of all things to know that when we walk out of the church into the dark, cold night, that there is still mopping up work to be done. You know, we've spoken before about the between D-Day and VE Day, right? The the idea that the the war is won, it's it's assured, the victory is 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 complete and fulfilled, and yet the little battles still have to be fought out in this, you know, already but not yet time frame and so part of that is the dichotomy of of you know those who have not yet experienced the light and you know one of the the prayers you know there's we talked before about the prayers of light the seven prayers that are now kind of clumped together and done quietly by the presbyter at the beginning of the service uh, used to be you know distributed throughout the whole service and done aloud well the last and culminating one of that uh you know is is, is totally about dark and light. And, and and it's about that ambiguity in a way. And, and it expresses again, God as the God of uh, who calls, you know, things into the light. But one of the things it asks for is to, to give us the armor of light, right? And so one of the ways of thinking about that imprint of the light on us is that it is a kind of armor. There's, there's still work to be done, right? It's not just a matter of walking out and, and proclaiming that God's light is everywhere. Isn't this marvelous? You might think that you're dying or suffering or miserable or whatever. You're not really just cheer up, right? It's not that. There is work to be done. There's there's struggle against the powers of darkness and so forth. So we need light to be our armor, 
right? We need to be given the weapon of light to go and fight that battle. So there is work to be done. That's why we were commissioned. That's why we were invited into God's mission and so forth. So it's in that light now shifts from being, you know, just the presence and glory and peace of God to being something that we have to carry forward into a kind of battle until God is truly all in all. What we've just experienced in the service will be true of everything everywhere and for all time. But for now, it is what clothes us and protects us against the darkness. I'd like to share one story, personal story from my life regarding this song. Um, and uh, so I used to, in my younger days, I used to belong to a very small English-speaking mission in Winnipeg uh, under the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And Vespers was usually Father Evan, me, and my then-girlfriend, Nikaila, who would then become my wife. And it was just us three. And we're talking, we did this for maybe two, three years, right? So we, we us three, really got to know Vespers together and kind of fell in love with, with Vespers. And in particular, um, singing the song of Simeon was always something nice that me and my now wife did. Um, and we always liked to sing it together. And But unfortunately, Holy Cross had to close down for various reasons. And it was, I, I knew that the last weekend wouldn't really be the last weekend because that's when we have a lot of visitors to say goodbye to the to the mission and everything like that so vespers would have like 15 people at it not three <laughs> right so it's not it's not really the last vespers for me the last vespers was the weekend before the last weekend when it was just father evan me and nikaila and singing the song of simeon in that context when you know it's the last time that you're going to be doing that together and uh, in that context i should say and singing now let your servant depart in peace um it is it was very powerful and a very meaningful moment that's that's stayed in our lives and um so the song of simeon has a a near and dear place in my heart no it's marvelous well that's about it father jeffrey anything else you want to add before we uh before we end before we depart in peace exactly according (laughs) to my word (laughs) no i think that'll do for now okay well thank you everybody and we'll see you next time You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.